how can we call out someone who claims to be a devout Christian and is yet a terrorist? Do we become partakers of his sin, or is he merely, as scripture calls him, a liar? Let's look at this and other things as we dig into the 511 News. Now there are two kinds of people in the world, only two kinds, not black and white, not rich and poor. There are those who are dead in sin and there are those who are dead to sin. After three nights of unbridled lawlessness across London, the contagion is spreading. The problem is that God has already judged this. He has judged murder already. I don't need to question it. I don't need to ask and wonder what his plan is. We're commanded as Christians not to participate in the works of darkness, but expose them. Hey guys, this is Chad from Good Fight Ministries. I'm so excited for you to be here checking out the 511 News. As we look today at a story that happened in Poway, which is in San Diego, California, a little bit lower than uh, where we're at in Simi Valley in our hometown, and a story, a sad story, about a terrorist attack that actually happened. And some people may be cowardly uh, enough not to call it that, but that's exactly what this is. It was a terrorist attack by a young man, a 19-year-old, by the name of John Ernest. He is a student at Cal State, or was a student at Cal State San Marcos, and, sadly enough, a regular churchgoer. And he came in armed with a, quote, AR-15-style gun and stormed into the Shabbat of Poway Synagogue a little before noon on Saturday, April 27th, yelling anti-Semitic slurs. The terrorist was able to murder a 60-year-old woman and also shoot a rabbi in the hand and injure two others with shrapnel. Now, this whack job wrote in detail how some of his false doctrines that he had come to believe led him to doing this. And I will quote, as I read his disgusting, pathetic manifesto, uh, I will read exactly from his own words. He says, and quote, How can you call yourself a Christian and do this? Surely the Bible calls for you to love your enemies. Firstly, just because someone calls themselves a Christian does not make them one. Plenty of people wrongfully identify with being a Christian. End quote there. I have to stop there because I can't even read that further without stopping to think about the height of hypocrisy when it comes to Mr. Ernest here saying that those who identify as Christians are not, not necessarily Christians while this manifesto is about to be his epilogue for his murders. It's absolutely pathetic and this diatribe that he put together before he went and murdered these Jews in this synagogue um, I just think it's abs- it's just mind-boggling that he thinks that these words would help to, I don't know, make you think that he's a Christian because he's calling out people that aren't really Christians who don't actually follow. But let's read the rest of the quote. He said, quote, Beyond the scope of time, the Father and the Son made a covenant in eternity, that the Son would bring a people to him, that he may be glorified through them. I did not choose to be a Christian. The Father chose me. The Son saved me, and the Spirit keeps me. Why me? I do not know. End quote. Now, this idea of fatalistic determinism, which is obviously what's going on here, that he believes that he had made no decision, it was never his decision to be a Christian, it almost seems like he's been dragged into this, 
And yet, because of his very viewpoints and because of these doctrines, this allowed for him to have the fleshly desires that he wants to have and run with them. Not only the replacement theology that he gets into here and some of the ridiculous quotes that he makes within this manifesto, but also with this deterministic viewpoint that he had no choice in the matter, that God just selected him and therefore he has no idea why. Why him and not someone else? And it's really sad. And he was right. The one thing I can agree with him on here is the fact that not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is a Christian. That is actually a fact. And guess what? Jesus actually gave the Apostle John the very message that explains this. And he told us this message in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And here's the verse for Mr. Ernest. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's right. All this man is, is a liar. It would be similar to me telling you I'm a major league baseball player and I don't play baseball. You know, sharing the gospel on the streets, I hear this all the time. I hear people talk about, hey, well, what about all those terrible things done in the name of Jesus? And, you know, I got Tony here with me, my, uh, my uh, I guess my production assistant, producer, sideline show guy. And uh, if I left a meeting with him and was like, you know what, you have a lot of philosophies. I really love what you talk about you know what? I'm going to be a Tonyite and I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to live in the name of Tony and I'm going to march in to every place and tell everyone I'm a Tonyite because that's what I am. And then I march in and I begin murdering people. And I say, I'm a Tonyite and I'm doing this in the name of Tony. I'm sure that if I came back to Tony and started talking to him and saying, guess what I did in your name? He'd say, you're not a follower of me. This is ridiculous. I laid out exactly for you what I believe and none of the things which I believe would lead you into being a murderer. You are not a follower of me. In fact, I don't even know you, man. Get out of here. And yet, this is exactly what this terrorist, this murderer did. In fact, God's word gets even deeper in this very letter. In, ver in chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, it says this, Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. You see, when you are regenerated, when you become a new creation in Christ, you no longer practice sin. This is not, as James warns in chapter 3, that we all stumble in many ways. This isn't sinless perfectionism. What this is, is you not practicing sin because you have a new heart. And when you do sin, it grieves the Lord. And it should grieve you because if you have God living inside of you, in the person of the Holy Spirit, it should grieve your heart when you sin. And in fact, in 1 John chapter 2, just a chapter earlier, he says that his instruction and his goal was that they may not sin. But when they do, they have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. This is the true word of God telling us what he wants 
to give us through his instruction. And this is the message that John received directly from Jesus, that God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. And for those who claim to be Christian and say they walk with him and they know him and yet practice darkness, they're a liar. They're not a believer. They can wear whatever hat they want. They can put whatever Jesus fish they want. They can even wear a t-shirt. But if their heart is not changed, if they do not bear fruit in keeping with repentance, they are not a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 15 makes it very clear for this murderer. Quote, You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That is a fact. No murderer has eternal life abiding in them. But guess what? That text goes even further. Because it isn't just talking about this murderous, disgusting human being. who, And, and sadly, guys, he's a 19-year-old man who's been taught this false doctrine and has fallen so in love with white supremacy that he has been led down this path. And because he has breath in his lungs, we do pray for his repentance. I do pray that he would actually turn and find the true Jesus Christ the one who's calling him to repent and no longer have a heart that is wicked because this very text that I am talking about right here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15 is not simply talking about the murderous rampager, but it's actually talking about somebody who hates, somebody with hatred in his heart. The same warning that Jesus gave. If you hate, you're a murderer because God in his new covenant said his covenant would be written on our hearts. Not on tablets, he would write it on our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit that has gone out to the whole world convicting them of sin and righteousness and judgment. You have your conscience bearing witness against you. You have wisdom screaming from the streets, calling you out. If you reject all those things, if you reject every one of those things and reject God's loving kindness as he as it's spelled out in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. If you trample underfoot the blood of Christ, all those things and reject him, you will get exactly what you deserved. Exactly what you deserve. Instead of Jesus taking all of the sin and judgment that you deserve on that cross, you will get exactly what you deserve for rejecting every bit of light that God gave to you. And it's so clear that that's exactly what this guy has done. It doesn't matter that he thinks he's saved and he thinks he's going to church. The Bible calls him in the book of James a self-deceiver. Be not mere hearers of the word, but doers also not deceiving yourselves. He was a, he is a self-deceiver. And sadly, this guy is in need of repentance. And that's what's great about grace is because I think when someone looks at maybe a Jeffrey Dahmer and says, this guy can't be saved, he could have never come to Christ. I believe that's because they don't understand how dark their sin is. We do not understand the darkness and the depravity of sin. And so therefore, we look at other sins and say, well, these are worse than this and this is worse than that. But we don't recognize the darkness of sin and that the, the God of glory, that Christ had to die on a cross for it. So we look and compare and say, well, well, I don't want that person to come to Christ. I don't want that person to come to Christ. And I've heard this from believers. But the fact is, is that Jesus is calling them. And if they still have breath to breathe, that is the grace of God that allows them to still have time to come to repentance. And I pray that for this man, even though we have to look at these things 
and point out how much of a lie it is that this person is supposedly a Christian. In fact, this murderous rampage shows you the lack of repentance and what happens when we do not repent of sin and how we can have a false view of our temptation and the things where God is leading us. James chapter 1 verses 13 through 15 says it like this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. How much does this text speak to this man? Not only does he blame God, ultimately, when he's saying he was just chosen, he doesn't know why, he ultimately blames God. He, and especially with his theology, you know that he's blaming God that they're Jewish. <laughs> and yet, because of this very thing, it brought forth a lust in him, a lust for hatred. And with that hatred, it brought forth that sin, and that sin brought forth death. Death to a 60-year-old woman. How much of a coward do you have to be to shoot a 60-year-old woman? I mean, just absolutely pathetic. And then, sadly, to put this out there that he's a Christian, it's just absolutely heartbreaking. And just notice that context of sin giving birth to death. It's someone believing that God is the one tempting them. The person is carried away by their sin because they at first believe that God is the one who brings this temptation, that God is the one who merely chose them. They don't know why. And now, therefore, they can go off and do this murderous, disgusting rampage. But this isn't the only false doctrine that he had that led him to this sinful desire. You see, because false doctrine, bad doctrine leads to bad living. We see it over and over again. People have false doctrine and they don't live out their pro the proper way and walk in a manner worthy of their calling. And here is his own excuse outside of blaming the Jews for ruining the entire world as to why he should murder them. Quote, and finally, for their role in the murder of the Son of Man, that is the Christ, every Jew, young and old, has contributed to these. For these crimes, they deserve nothing but hell. I will send them there. End quote. This young man has a heart so wicked that he doesn't recognize his own sin. This is the log and speck analogy that Jesus gives us. First, remove the log from your own eye before you can remove the speck. And sadly, this is absolutely 100% diametrically opposed to what we see happen in the New Testament with a regenerated Holy Spirit-filled believer. In Acts chapter 2, we read about Pentecost, when the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. And after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter gives an amazing sermon. And he actually quotes from Joel 2.32, All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he says this in verse 22 through 24. He says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which he performed which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death so you see he's calling them out for this 
Just to have Joseph's brothers hand him over to the Gentiles, here he is talking about how the Jews handed over to the Romans. And he said, guess what? You handed him over. You nailed him to the cross through handing him over. But, verse 24 said, But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in, his, in its power. Peter's reaction to calling them out for putting Jesus to death Specifically, as in Thessalonians, it talks about um, the Judeans who actually put him to death when he calls them out. But specifically calls them to repentance, to turn from this. And do you want to know what the result of this preaching message? It wasn't a murderous rampage. It says in Acts 2, 41 through 42. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day they were added about 3000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is a biblical reaction to the Jewish people. One of sharing the truth in love as Peter did. He pled with them in verse 40. And with many words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Peter did exactly what Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, about being an ambassador for Christ, not an assassin. We are not assassins. We don't go about murdering. We go about preaching the gospel in truth and in love and with power from on high. The word tells us that all who come to Christ are new creations in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And then right after that, it tells you you're an ambassador and that your job is not to murder. Your job is to call people, be reconcilers, be reconciled to God. That should be our heart for people. But sadly, this is the sort of prejudice that leads forth to these murderous rampages. This false doctrine, this replacement theology, this fatalistic determinism that this young man had... It is so sad and so disgusting to read these things and to see them being actually kind of prevalent. At Good Fight Ministries, we've gotten emails before about the Jews, about blacks, about a bunch of different people, racist emails about that they can never be saved because of their race. In fact, there was another story, not just this one. There was another story regarding councilmen in Georgia not wanting a mixture of whites and blacks together. In fact, he's talked about his blood boiling. I'll actually read from the Pathios article. It says, Recently, Mayor Teresa Keenerly of Hodgkin, I believe it's Hodgkin, Georgia, confessed to rejecting a candidate for city administrator because he's black. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution reports Mayor Keenerly told a member of the city council she pulled the resume of Keith Henry from a packet of four finalists, quote, because he is black and the city isn't ready for this. Councilman Jim Cleveland then went on to explain that he is a Christian, and as a Christian, he has a problem with race mixing. Cleveland said, quote, I'm a Christian, and my Christian beliefs are you don't do interracial marriage. That's the way I was brought up, and that's the way I believe. He added, I have black friends. I hired black people. 
But when it comes to all this stuff you see on TV, when you see blacks and whites together, it makes my blood boil because that's not the way a Christian is supposed to live. End of disgusting, pathetic quote. This sort of anti-biblical, inhumane prejudice nonsense has actually been directly spoken against by God himself. In fact, pray this doesn't happen to him, or maybe it would bring him repentance. But I want to quote from an article that Pastor Joe Schimmel, the founder of Good Fight Ministries, actually wrote regarding the Exodus movie. You see, even though progressives in Hollywood like to talk about how they want to help the black community and how terrible these people are for saying this and whatever. Most of them are actually very, very prejudiced. That was found out through the Sony emails that happened. (laughs) I mean, it's the height of hypocrisy. But also, they don't like the idea of putting forth characters who actually resemble the people they're playing. And so Joe actually wrote an article about this in the Exodus movie, and I'm going to quote him at length here. He said, The truth is that red, brown, yellow, black, and white, we are all the same human race, created in the image of God and souls for whom Christ died. Hebrews 2.9 God looks on the heart and not our outward appearance. 1 Samuel 16.7 Ironically, the great majority of white actors in the Exodus movie play leaders among the Egyptians, whereas... Darker-skinned actors depict the lower class of Egyptians, including slaves and criminals. This has led to various boycotts of the movie over race, including this one, hashtag boycott Exodus movie. Now, we're going to see where scripture specifically talks about something similar happening. Quote, when Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses for marrying a Cushite slash Ethiopian woman, Apparently, because of her skin color, God was not pleased. Quote, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman who he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. Just real quick on the Cushite Ethiopian woman here. This is from Daniel Hayes' book, From Every People and Nation, A Biblical Theology of Race. He writes that Cush quote, is used regularly to refer to the area south of Egypt and above the cataracts of the Nile, where a black American civilization flourished for over 2,000 years. Thus, it is quite clear that Moses marries a black African-American woman. God was so displeased with Miriam's racism and opposition to Moses that he struck her with leprosy to apparently teach her a lesson. Quote, when the cloud removed... From over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, 
like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. Numbers twelve ten through 15 What a powerful objective or object lesson. Evidently, God was saying to Miriam that if you think lighter skin is superior and somehow makes you better than others, then here, have some pure white skin in the form of leprosy. I think that is a great and powerful testimony to these men right here. And and notice Moses' heart. He wants her to repent. He wants her to get this right. And that's the same way I feel about this councilman about John Ernest, I want them to get it right. I want them to follow the Lord, have a better understanding, recognize that, guess what? In Christ, there's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. The fact is, is that if you've come to Christ, guess what? You're my brother in the Lord, and I don't care what skin color you are. We have the Holy Spirit lit inside us, man. We have metanoia. We have things in common. That's what I want. And who better to finish a teaching on the subject than the words of Paul? Have you ever wondered why you were born red, black, yellow, white, whatever color? Or why you live in the city, state, or house you grew up in? We're given a biblical, unprejudiced answer. In Acts 17, starting at verse 25, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Why did he do that? Verse 27, that they would seek God or grope after him. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. That's the truth. That's the truth of scripture explaining to us, guess what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. The gospel is for all. And guess what? Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The power is in the gospel. These things are powerless. My word comes back void. God's word never comes back void. When you want to preach the gospel and you want to share with people and you want to see people have new hearts, share with them the truth of scripture and bring them into a loving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God and thank you so much for sitting in and listening on this. I'm Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries and you've been listening to 511 News. Have a great day and God bless you.